On today's episode, we are taking this opportunity to sit down with Lindsay Keenan and talk about mental health. So stick around and let's be better athletic trainers. Before we start, I would like to take this opportunity to thank this episode's sponsor, Rothman Orthopedics, for their support of Pat and athletic trainers in the state of Pennsylvania. For more information, check them out at rothmanortho.com. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Super excited to talk about this. We are um, we're a little late on the mental health. Last month was obviously uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, this is the June episode, so we're, we're a little bit behind the time, but I think coming through the month, getting ready to plan and get this out, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but before we get into the main topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, where'd you go to school? Uh, what setting do you work in? Uh, some fun stuff. Great. Uh, so I am actually from New Jersey, but I've now officially spent more of my life in Pennsylvania than in New Jersey. <laughs> Uh, small tier, but no, my heart is in PA now. Um, and a fun little plug here, and I'm not trying to be too nerdy, but Pats has had like a really big role in that, in, you know, me falling in love with PA, mostly because of my experience starting at Lock Haven. So I did my undergrad degree in athletic training from Lock Haven with Adam. And so we both graduated together. So we're longtime friends. And um, I finished my degree there and went on and earned two master's degrees from East Stroudsburg University, one in sport management, one in athletic training. And then I taught at ESU for a few years um, and was able to travel, helped teach at uh, University of Puerto Rico, um, did some really cool things there. Um, and then that's kind of when I... I decided that I wanted to continue with teaching, get my PhD, and focus on mental health. Um, that, that was something that I knew I wanted to focus on and, and I was really passionate about. So I got my PhD from Temple University in kinesiology with a concentration in sport and exercise psychology. And from there, I went and uh, taught for a year at California University of Pennsylvania. You might be seeing a trend here, lots of state schools. Um, and um, I, I love the state system. What can I say? State education is great. And I, I taught in their athletic training program and worked with uh, the men's basketball team. And finally ended up landing at Westchester University where I'm, I'm hoping to stay for a very long time. I'm, I'm loving it here. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Sports Medicine. I teach in our undergrad and graduate programs and um, all of our faculty work clinically as well. So I'm the athletic trainer with the NCAA women's rugby team at Westchester. And so I love that. We also conduct research. Um, and so there's a research component part of my, my job as well, which I really enjoy. So that's where I am. And I'm also a mom of two. I have a uh, two, and, or how old is she? Goodness, three and a half year old. And turns one next week. So oh, wow. a one year old. Um, so that's me. That's me in a nutshell. And not, I'm married to not a, an apple. The... What's that? Uh, you're not going to mention the dog, a mom of the dog as well? 
Oh yes, sorry. Yes, I also have um, a wild dog, a a Weimaraner named Summit, um, because I like to ski and hike, um, and I'm married to an athletic trainer as well. So. Oh God, bless your family there. <laughs> nice. So Lindsay, uh, today's episode, as Phil said, is going to be focusing on mental health. Um, and when we were talking about finding somebody to, to come on the show and talk about that, uh, you know, you, you were one of the first people that, that came to my mind. Um, so I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your, your passion with us. Um, that being said, you know, what, what made you want to focus your energy on the mental health of your patients and, and athletes? That's a great question. Yeah, and thank you again for having me here. I love talking about this topic. Um, you know, there's been a number of people that have influenced my life and my career to focus on mental health. Um, one of those people uh, who couldn't be on the podcast today, but is also a, a big um, advocate for mental health in athletes in Pennsylvania is uh, Dr. Yvette Ingram. And um, she, you know, was my mentor and professor and now is a very good friend uh, at Lock Haven. And she, you know, teaches sports psych courses there. She actually motivated me to get the same degree she has from Temple University um, because that was something she was really passionate about. In addition to that, I had a unique but not so unique experience when I was at Lock Haven. Um, when I was 18, I experienced depression for the first time. And as you know, a young adult, first time in college, away from home, I had no idea what I was going through like I didn't know it was depression right um, yeah. we didn't really talk about depression when I was in high school and even in college um, the first semester we didn't really talk about it and it wasn't until my second semester freshman year uh, that I was in a health class I'll never forget it 7 to 10 p.m. Um, in a large lecture hall and the professor said open up your textbook and take a look at this checklist. And it was a depression symptom checklist. And I remember reading through the checklist and my eyes just like welling up with water because I realized, oh my gosh, this is me. Like I have depression. And I uh, went back to my dorm room and, and cried because that's what I was doing every day. Again, I didn't really know what what was normal, what wasn't. I thought I was just upset because I went through a big transition, lost my grandmother, had a relationship end. Um, and I, you know, wasn't adjusting like I thought I, I would. And it wasn't until I got back to my dorm, I called my mom and said, I have depression. And of course, because I'm 18 and I can't, you know, do anything by myself. My mom called the university counseling center. I got into counseling. And by the end of the semester, I was feeling better, right? So thankfully that worked for me. Thankfully I had um, someone to turn to and I was you know felt comfortable talking to my mom about what I was going through um, had that not been the case I don't know what what would have happened because um, if I'm being completely transparent it was a really hard and scary time for me and you know college is scary for a lot of people but that's around the age when mental health starts to um, surface for a lot a lot of kids and young adults and um, you know, I was lucky that I had my mother, but it really made me wonder, you know, if my athletic trainer had talked about mental health and it had nothing to do with my athletic trainer at the time, that was not a thing. And even now it's not necessarily mainstream, although it's becoming more mainstream for athletic trainers to talk about mental health. But I wonder, you know, I was a, I was a collegiate lacrosse athlete. I think I forgot to mention that. And so I was playing lacrosse. I did preseason physicals, but that mental health was not mentioned. And so I wonder, had I been screened, 
what would have happened? I, I probably maybe wouldn't have gotten to the point that I was having suicidal thoughts, um, that I was really struggling, that I was failing some classes and my GPA was plummeting. Um, there, you know, at, since I was referred to the counseling center and I did get help, I was able to turn things around and the next year pull my GPA up, get into the athletic training program, and here I am, right? But that story could have been a lot different had I not had the path that I, I did. So that was one of the reasons. The other, the second part of that is that when I was at East Stroudsburg University, one of my football athletes, um, his brother died by suicide. His brother was a football athlete at UPenn. Um, and at the time, we, we later found out he was, uh, at the time, the youngest athlete to be diagnosed with CTE. And I remember... I remember obviously that hitting us as clinicians really hard and our, you know, football team, our athletes, my athlete, um, who I'm, I'm uh, still very close with today. Actually, his, his now wife and I were in grad school together at ESU. And so um, it hit close to home. And I, again, remember thinking like, you know, are we doing enough as athletic trainers? Like we're talking about possibly doing cardiac screening of hundreds of athletes to find this one in a million chance cardiac issue that might kill one of our athletes. But yet suicide is the second leading cause of death in this age population. I think the third leading cause of athletes in general. And so it's like, that's so common. This is happening. Why are we not talking about it and doing something about it? And so that's kind of how I ended up where I am today. Wow. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. It's obviously, it, you know, it can be difficult to talk about that. Um, you know, I think it is becoming more mainstream and, and people are more open to, to talking about their experiences, but it's still difficult, right, to admit that and, and yeah. you know, say it out loud. So we appreciate you you sharing that with us. And that's a that's a big deal. So, you know, I think this episode can can really hopefully open people's eyes a little bit to, to what's out there. So, yeah kind of break down the taboo of it. I mean, this yeah. is something I, I guarantee you almost everyone um, experienced it at some point in their life. Um, I, I know a couple years ago, I went through a bunch of big changes and um, started seeing a counselor and it's done wonders for me. Mm -hmm. um, but on that note, what do you think are, or in your opinion, what are some of the most important things that athletic trainers should implement to address, um, to address some mental health issues that we see commonly in the athletic training room? for athletes yeah. and, or for yeah. our patients. Yeah. yeah, for our patients. That's a great question. I mean, the first thing is, is touching on what you both just said, like turning into yourself and saying, how comfortable am I talking about this, right? Because this topic is stigmatized. Um, it's taken me a long time to get to this point that I can comfortably talk about my mental health. And I talk about it openly. I've talked about it in, fr in rooms in front of 100 people and all the way down to, you know, one of my patients right in front of me. I'm comfortable sharing, but that's probably not the norm. It's a private thing, right? It's also an invisible injury. And so you can hide it. Many people are hiding it. Uh, and Phil, you mentioned, like, you know, most of us will go through this. Um, SAMHSA, the... Um, uh, an organization that looks into mental health and, and uh, substance abuse in the U.S., their most recent publication just came out from their study in 2019, and they found that 50% of U.S. adults at some point in their lifetime will be diagnosed or experience a mental health issue. And so yeah. this is how common it is, one in two, half of us, right? And so, you know, we... The, the stigma behind talking about mental health is a difficult thing, but we can move past that if 
all of us together start talking about it more. And that is already happening, right? So the NCAA and the NATA have published papers and consensus statements saying, yes, we need to address this. I think it took a little too long to, to get to this point, but at least we're here, right? Um, the, the NCAA uh, best practices document wasn't even published till 2016 on addressing mental health in athletes. But now we're here, so let's talk about it. So as an athletic trainer, you know, think about, you know, what are my discomforts? What am I comfortable with? Um, it doesn't mean that you have to disclose everything about yourself, but even stepping out like you just did, Phil, and saying, yeah, I've been in counseling before, 100% normalizes it. Yeah. Because counseling is just like treating your ankle, right? And so if we can normalize that conversation and get more comfortable talking about it, you will help your patients because they're going to hear you say these things and say, huh, okay, so let me talk to her about something when I'm not you know, feeling right, or she's the person that I can go and tell. And I've had that happen with my athletes who, you know, it's their fourth year, their senior year of college, and I've been screening them every two weeks, every athletic season for depression, anxiety, eating disorders. And it's not till their senior year that they come to me and say, or, you know, flag on their checklist and report all these symptoms and say, yeah, I've been feeling like this for four years. But I finally got to the point that I'm ready to tell someone and you're the person I'm going to tell. And so that's um, not a rarity like this. You know, every team that you work with, if you work in in, uh, the secondary school collegiate setting, there's going to be somebody on that team experiencing depression or anxiety. It's it's inevitable. And so are you creating an environment that opens the door to conversations? Now, with that being said, we also want to understand that we're not mental health providers, right? We're not licensed mental health providers. And so we can have a conversation, we can provide a listening ear, um, and then we offer a referral, right? We tell our athletes, I hear you and it really sounds like you're struggling. Let me help by connecting you with the right person because I can listen, but I'm not going to be able to help you through this. And only a licensed mental health provider is going to be able to help you through this. So having that conversation knowing, you know, when to bring that up and really the answer there, because I always, athletic trainers often ask me, like, when do I know? Should I offer a referral or not? Offer a referral all the time. Literally, even if they're just having a bad day, you know, it's just a bad day. You have some coping skills, but also there's the counseling center is, is always there on campus or the school counselor, the school psychologist, or, you know, we could call your health insurance and get you set up with someone, even if it's just for a couple of weeks. Like, you don't have to wait until things are so bad. And that's often what our patients do. Yeah. Um, I'll also say that my... The most common thing that I hear from athletes when I do offer a referral is, um, I just don't think it's that bad yet. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think it's that yeah. bad yet. It's yeah. not that bad yet. And I'm like, how bad are you going to let it get? How right. long are you going to go until you give yourself permission to feel better, right? To have somebody help you. And so, you know, it's again breaking down that stigma doing follow-ups, having these conversations with your with your athletes and your patients. And so that's the most important thing. Once you start doing that, there's other specific technical things that many of us probably already know about, right? If you've read the NATA uh, consensus paper on addressing psychological concerns, 
there's lots of resources there and step-by-step what you can do as an athletic trainer. If you haven't read that yet, please read that document because it's really um, helpful. And then the second is the NCAA best practices document is literally a checklist. At the end of the document, there's a checklist that says, here are the things that we recommend you do. Uh, They, in a nutshell, include identify a mental health provider. So just like you would identify a cardiologist that you might refer, a dentist, all these different specialists, a podiatrist, along with your team physician, you should have a mental health provider on your sports medicine, on your athletic health care team, right? And so that's number one. That's who you want to work with. They're going to help give you guidance on developing a mental health management plan, And that's the second step. Develop a mental health management plan. That should include an emergency referral protocol, a routine referral protocol. So what are these mental health emergencies? Listing them out and what do you do? How do you get the patient to immediate care, et cetera? Having a routine referral protocol. And then lastly, when you're ready, when you have all these other things in place, a mental health provider and a management uh, plan, you can possibly look into screening your athletes, implementing screening. It's way different than just asking your athletes a couple of questions in the PPE about history of depression or, you know, are you feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? Just asking one or two questions isn't necessarily screening, and you're not going to catch your patients who are actually struggling with clinically relevant symptoms of depression, of anxiety, eating disorders, et cetera. And so there's lots of surveys out there that you can use to screen your athletes for mental health issues. Um, I, I kind of wanted to go back uh, or uh, go back to the, the conversation about normalizing um, mental health, right? And, you know, I think worst case scenario, we, we worry about, you know, people hurting themselves, right? Or, or, or um, suicide or, or those types of, of things. Like that's worst case scenario. But I don't think people also understand that mental health plays a role in in your your performance right your your ability to handle stress in general right so like do you really want to be fit and work out and and crush your 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 fitness goals well if your mental health is is chaotic and not in in the place it needs to be you're taking away your from your body's ability to to handle that stress right um you know stress is stress and and um i i think that's a big key element for me that I talk about with my athletes a lot because that's that is my role I'm, I'm, I'm more the performance guy right and if I can link that that mental health to the performance um, it, it seems to set in a little bit more and, and like you said not waiting until it's bad enough to go see counseling well hey let's go to, let's go talk to a counselor and, and just get your performance better like that you know what I mean um, so I think that's that's a big um, concept for me personally any thoughts on that yeah you're gonna get buy-in from your athletes using that route um and and it you know i hope that we could get to a day that we don't need buy-in right because like you don't have to get buy-in for your athlete to treat their ankle uh their ankle sprain right or their acl but unfortunately (laughs) well sometimes you're right but unfortunately (laughs) buy-in from our our patients about addressing their mental health and connecting that to performance absolutely you'll see the light bulbs go off with your athlete that hey you want to continue to play and and usually they'll notice too right that their performance hasn't been at its peak and it probably has to do with some symptoms that they've been dealing with very often sleep issues which are connected to mental health and performance and so if they're not sleeping right um so 
you know, I, and, and sometimes I ease into the conversation, especially if I could tell if my patient is nervous or anxious to talk about this, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, closed off a little bit or like, what do we need to talk about? I could tell that they're a little hesitant. So I'll start talking about their performance and that, Hey, you've no, I've noticed, you know, that you've brought up that you're not getting as much playing time and you've been frustrated with that. And you feel like you keep, um, not performing like you used to. And so you on this screening or I've mentioned, or I've, uh, you've mentioned, or I've noticed that you, you haven't been yourself lately. And it sounds like, and then usually I bring up sleep too, because sleep is easy to talk about, right? Sleep is like part of our life, always, no matter what. So is mental health, but sleep is an obvious thing that we do. So I usually ease in with sleep. Like, how have you been sleeping? Um, And inevitably, if they're really struggling with a mental health issue, their sleep is disrupted. I mean, sleep is a hard thing to deal with, even when you're not dealing with a mental health issue um, for numerous reasons. And so sleep is an easy thing to talk about. I bring up sleep. Yeah, I haven't been sleeping or I can't stay asleep or I'm having trouble falling asleep. Okay, these are all signs of, of mental health distress, right? Or, or at least just stress in general. And so we have that conversation about stress and that, hey, if you want to sleep better, you want to perform better, here are here's what I would recommend that we do. Let's call the counseling center. And I walk them through what that experience is like. Um, and then I ask them, like, is this something that you would consider? You know, would you think about this or would you consider, would you want to do this? Yep. You know, I kind of put it, put it on them and see what their response is. Sometimes it's, oh, I want to think about it. Okay. All right. How about I get in touch with you next week? Let's chat next week about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I don't want to say that just constant hounding, but that, that concern that we can express as athletic trainers, we have that relationship with our athletes that, that building a trust that, you know, just like getting an athlete to take care of a chronic injury. You know, we just, hey, let's let's work on this day. Let's work on this day. Oh, no, I don't have time. Okay. And then you just keep going and going. Finally, they're like, yeah, you want some? I'm going to take you up on that offer. And then once once you get them kind of in the door, then it's like, okay, now we have the opportunity to do some real work and really help them. I, I think that's an awesome, awesome opportunity to take. So, so Lindsay, you talked about the resources from the NATA and the NCAA document, um, which I think are really helpful. But, you know, we do have a lot of listeners that are in high school as well. Um, any thoughts or resources out there for them or, or just more resources in general for, for our listeners that you could share? Absolutely. So, like I said, your your biggest resource is going to be those actual licensed mental health providers, but uh, they may be limited. Um, I, the SAMHSA also came out with a stat that said 55% of counties in the U.S. have not one single practicing psychiatrist in the county. 55%. So access to mental health care is not where it should be in the U.S. And so that is one issue. And then when you also break that down um, into different marginalized groups, our BIPOC folks, like, you know, people in um, very urban areas are possibly not going to um, have access to resources like they like somebody else might be. And so access to resources um, is difficult. However, you know, you can reach out to your uh, county health department and see what resources they do have. So even though there might not be a psychiatrist, there might be licensed psychologists in the area. Obviously, you can call your patient's health insurances to see 
you know, what resources they, they might take. And then, you know, your school district, if you're, if you're in a secondary school, your school district might hire school psychologists. They might not. It it depends Mm -hmm. on the school district and the access. And so um, seeing what resources and just compiling a list, that's the place to start. Those mental health providers are then going to have other resources as well that you might not even be aware of. So that's a really great you know, starting, starting point. The other thing is, is access to specific tools. Can I I interrupt you there real quick? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious to go back to those resources. So, you know, there, there's your mental health counselor, right? You have your psychologist, you have your psychiatrist. Could you maybe break those down for our listeners a little bit? And like, you know, maybe when, when is appropriate and when is not? Absolutely. Great question. So psychiatrist is going to be an MD right? Or a DO. So someone who is a licensed physician who then went into specializing in psychiatry. Typically, on average, on the whole, a psychiatrist is generally not going to be the person who's going to offer counseling or psychotherapy. They are going to uh, manage or oversee cases with their medication. And sometimes not even medication, but just overall like a diagnosis. So if you have a patient who has been in counseling, has been seeing a therapist, very often if it's um, if, if the counselor or the mental health provider feels that th- this person might need a little bit more than just counseling, they generally will refer to a psychiatrist, but sometimes not. And so this happens a lot. I'll screen my athletes or they'll start talking to me about their mental health and I find out they've been in therapy for three years. Okay, so, but they're still really struggling. It seems like maybe they need a little bit more. Maybe they come to me and say, I need a little bit more. All right, let's see if we could set you up with a psychiatrist. Sometimes it's that the athletes weren't diagnosed appropriately. And so they, they need different types of, of treatment, whether it's different approach for in therapy or specific medications. And so this, a psychiatrist can oversee medication management and some more complex mental health issues. A psychologist is a licensed mental health provider that has a doctorate and generally five or more years of clinical and and sometimes research experience in mental health and counseling. So their focus is going to be counseling. They cannot prescribe uh, medication. Um, and, And I should mention too, very often, most of your patients, their psychotropic medication is probably being managed by their primary care doc. And so ask them. So if they say, yeah, I'm already on uh, depression meds, but they're still struggling and they haven't done therapy in a year, they've just been on the same meds, it's probably that maybe their meds need to be adjusted. And I usually advocate, let's have you go see a psychiatrist because while our primary care docs do a fantastic job, you know, they can't be experts in everything, right? And so we want to connect them with the experts. So if they're already on medication and, and you find that they're, it's being overseen by their primary care doc and it's, and they're not doing well, let's refer them to a psychiatrist. With a psychologist, that's going to be a licensed mental health provider that can provide um, psychotherapy counseling. And they often will have specialties. So they'll specialize in depression or eating disorders, sometimes even athletes, right? If you've heard the term sports psychologist before, be aware. So this is really important. This is key. Be aware that literally any psychologist can just hang a shingle on their door and say, I'm a sports psychologist. There's no regulation like there is for licensed athletic trainers, right? And so that term sports psychologist, now psychologist is protected. Only a licensed psychologist can call themselves a psychologist across the U.S. But 
there's no regulation of a sports psychologist. So you just want to find out how, why does this person call themselves a sports psychologist? Do they have 10 years of experience working with athletes? They were an athlete themselves. They've worked with this team and whatever. So they, you know, they understand the context of sport. There are some certifications that they can have through the uh, Association for Applied Sports Psychology as well. And so if you hear or find somebody that's in your area that's a sports psychologist, awesome. Get in touch with them. Find out what their, you know, specialty is. Sometimes sports psychologists too, um, uh, they'll, they'll focus on performance enhancement, with which if you're, you know, wanting to refer somebody for severe depression, that might not be the right person, right? So you just want to find out their experience, their background. And then we also have licensed professional counselors, LPCs, who's going to do general, they generally have a master's degree, they're going to do um, counseling, psychotherapy. And then we have uh, social workers, licensed social workers, licensed family and marriage counselors, Social workers is going to be the referral for your patient whose parents are going through a divorce. Uh, they're struggling with their social aspects of their life. Um, maybe not necessarily just mental health, but other, you know, social, financial, environmental things. Um, and then marriage and, and family counselors. Sometimes if there's like family issues, maybe the whole family goes and sees a licensed marriage and family counselor to do group or family therapy. Excellent. No, that was super helpful because um, I do think that can be a little confusing um, mm -hmm. with, with all the options out there and, and people not Absolutely. understanding and, you know, when, when, are, when are meds appropriate and when, when are they maybe not. Um, another question for you, you know, we, you touched on it there where you have these athletes that have been in counseling, you know, for, for years or, or, you know, maybe they're not currently in, but they've done it in the past, but just don't feel like it's been helpful. Any mm -hmm. tips or tricks there? Or like, how do you have that mm -hmm. conversation? Like they just yeah. given up on counseling. I'm so glad that you said that because this is so common that, so common. and this happened to me several times, by the way. So I mentioned the first time I had depression, I was 18. Right. But I, I went through in and out of depression. I typically suffer what's known as adjustment disorder so i'll be fine and then we'll have a big transition in my life you know a death of a loved one or a relationship end or something like that and i just struggle with adjusting to the change right and so that's a, a under the umbrella of depression and so i've been in and out of counseling and, and therapy for years although um two and a half years ago i finally um after having my first daughter and experiencing severe anxiety and some PTSD for the first time in my life. And that was different for me from depression. Um, I realized like, I love counseling because it helps me so much. Well, I've been doing what I tell my patients not to do and only getting in counseling when I, it was like crisis mode, right? So I finally was like, I want to be in long-term therapy. So I've been doing therapy once a week for the past two and a half years and I've never felt better in my life, right? Uh, but the thing that I've experienced in and out of different therapists is that Sometimes you're just not going to click with your therapist. It has nothing to do with their specialty or anything like that. This is how I pose it to my athletes. And so this is a fun little uh, trick or tip that athletic trainers can take away. I say to my athletes after they're like, yes, I'm going to go to counseling. I'll accept the referral, what have you. I say, this is what I want you to remember. Think about your team, okay? You are not best friends with every single person on your team, right? You're not going to click with every single person. You're going to click with like one or two or five, you know, uh, people on your team. And so sometimes we just don't click. We don't mesh well with other people. And the same thing can and possibly will happen with your therapist, with your counselor. And so give it a few sessions. Give it one or two sessions. You're not going to be like, yes, this is it. 
on the first session, right? You have to get to know each other. But after two to three sessions, if you're just feeling, or a year, sometimes they get you through a difficult point and then you're like, I just feel like I'm not making any more progress. That's okay. You change, the therapist changes. It happens, we're people. And so you should probably find a different therapist. Sometimes it's difficult because it's like breaking up with your therapist, right? Yeah. Understand that mental health providers understand this. They know this. They know that. And they might even be feeling like, well, maybe we're not connecting that as much, but they're not going to push you out the door, right? So I tell my athletes, if you don't feel like it's working, that's okay. You can find somebody else. Come back to me. If you feel like you can't find someone on your own, I will help you find another mental health provider, okay? Or our team physician will or your primary care doc will. Like, we will set you up with somebody else. And I've been in the boat where actually, within a matter of a month, month and a half, went through two different uh, professionals, because at first I was referred to a, psych, uh, a social worker, and it just wasn't working. I was like, you know, her approach, I think, isn't right for me. Went to somebody else. It got me through for a couple of months. And then I was like, you know, it just, it doesn't feel right. And then I found another therapist, and I was like, yes. And I moved leaps and bounds with feeling better and addressing my mental health and growing as a person for the next, you know, several months working with that person. And so you will not always click with the first person that you match with, that you that you get set up with. And that's okay. I often hear patients say, well, therapy doesn't work for me because they tried it once or twice with one person and it wasn't the right time, the right person. So keep that in mind. No, that that's really helpful. Um, yeah, because like I said, I, I experienced that a lot trying to have that conversation, and and they're like, you know, because I, I, I do think it's more prevalent now where they're identifying these things earlier on, and you know, maybe it, it is too that maybe they're too immature as a as a high school um, athlete, you know, and, and trying to do counseling, and they just they weren't ready yet, right? Um, and, and then they give up on it, and that's that's unfortunate because you know I think it it can definitely be helpful, and I love I love your your um, maintenance counseling right like I, I i'm a big advocate of that as well like i don't you know and phil touched on it earlier but like you, everybody experiences stress everybody experiences anxiety everybody has probably some low level depression at some point in their life and you know it's about you being the best person that you can be and you know if going to counseling and talking through things helps you with that like that that that's you know it's like getting a coach for anything else like you you, you pay a coach to train you for soccer you pay a coach to train you in in sports performance like this is just mental coaching right like i i think we you know we need to continue to normalize it um and and agree like if you if you find somebody you really like stick with them and, and maybe it doesn't have to be once a week maybe it's once a month maybe it's once every three months but i think checking in and, and staying on top of it is is a really big um big deal and, and very important so thank you for sharing all that um i did interrupt you earlier about resources did you want to touch back on on any other resources that you want to talk about yeah. So uh, one thing I was going to mention is if you do decide to screen your athletes for mental health, and this is something that I have athletic trainers ask me about all the time, like, how do we actually do this? And while the NATA and NCAA uh, consensus statements on addressing mental health are really helpful in what should I be doing, they don't necessarily tell us how to do it, right? So, hey, screen uh, your 550 athletes for mental health. Okay, how's that going to happen, right? And so I went through this for several years where I was doing paper and pencil screening uh, for depression and anxiety, sometimes eating disorders uh, it, during preseason, 
sometimes every two weeks because I've also tied uh, mental health screening to my research as well, looking at prevalence of, of depression and anxiety in athletes. And it just wasn't efficient. Like we wear so many hats. How are we going to convince athletic trainers to now put on another hat of screening our athletes for mental health, right? And so I, I remember thinking like, we're, we're at the point that people are recognizing, yes, this is important. Yes, we need to address this. No, I'm not going to spend 20 hours a week screening my athletes and, and calculating scores and learning how to do this and all of that. And so we're not going to get the buy-in from the athletic trainers to actually do this unless we have a feasible way to screen. And so I battled that for a, a number of years in my clinical practice and finally was uh, – meeting with our licensed sports psychologist at Westchester University and one of our associate athletic directors because we were looking into writing an NCAA grant uh, to address student-athlete mental health. And I had tossed around this idea in my head for a while and finally said to them, you know, I what if we developed an app to screen athletes for mental health, but that efficiently screens them and the athletic trainers basically have to do no work other than selecting what surveys, and then the app will tell us what to do from there. And that tiny idea finally uh, developed into an app that my two colleagues, uh, Rachel Daltrey, Kellyanne Milliner, and I developed an app. It's now called ProMotion Health. I'm really excited about it. It hasn't officially launched yet, although we're, we're launching this summer. We've piloted it for a couple of years at Westchester with our athletes. So essentially what the app does is allows athletic trainers to select various different mental health screening tools or any PRO, so hence the name ProMotion. Um, so you can, you can put in any patient-reported outcome measure that you want, and the app will actually calculate the scores for you and put them into red, yellow, and green categories. So after you send the survey to your athletes, they each have their own um, private login. They take the surveys, and then you can filter resu results by sport, by uh, gender, by individual athletes, and it will tell you who's in the red flag, who's yellow flag, maybe some elevated symptoms, and who's green. It provides feedback to the athletes based on scores to give them connect them to mental health resources and other resources. Um, we're actually going to be using the app as well for COVID screening potentially. So there's lots of uses for it as well. Um, and it's just streamlining the process. So now we can screen hundreds of athletes, um, see who red flags, and then just add them to follow-up categories. And we can even document the follow-ups in the app as well. So I'm really excited about this. There are also, I'm going to also provide, there's other resources as well for mental health screening. Um, if you are in the secondary school, another um, app that is commonly used is uh, Healthy Roster. It's an EMR, and so you can look into that, although they might not use you know, as many mental health screening tools. Um, if you're using Google Docs or uh, Qualtrics or any other, like a SurveyMonkey, just make sure that you have a HIPAA and FERPA compliant yes. server um, because you want to make sure that your patient's information is protected, right? And so our app is is hosted on a HIPAA and FERPA compliance server. So we know that the PHI, the patient health information is protected. So there are, you know, things out there, technologies that you can use to streamline this process. 
yeah. yeah no that that is that is great um really excited for you and and you. we'll continue to look for your app um you know we, awesome. we are like dickinson we're currently using qualtrics um at, at, for our screening i mean we you know it's it's part of the ncaa requirement and and we feel good that we're doing it um uh, but it is it's complicated right it's there's a lot of boxes you have to check um you know we're, we're, we're asking about yeah mm -hmm. yeah and, and just asking about um you know hurting themselves and, and and that's a liability in itself right mm -hmm. like if you ask a question but then don't follow up with it um, mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of details that go into it. You know, we have our counselors on site for that screening. So that way we have access to somebody um, if we need them. Um, you know, we, we, we went back and forth about like trying to do it over the summer, you know, as part of our PPE. But, you know, like if somebody if you don't follow up with that information, like that's that's a that's a big red flag. So, um, yeah, really excited to, to see the app when it comes out. Um, you know, did you have a timeline of when you think it might be available? Yeah, uh, this summer we're we're hoping wow. to launch this summer. So we're we're launching at Westchester, and we're gonna bring. Um, we're looking for some different universities. We're starting in the collegiate setting, but you know, going to expand into the high school setting. It's ready. Uh, so we're just setting everything up. We, we're done with beta testing, and we're really excited about it. Um, and our can I can I share the website? Right. Our our website is absolutely. Go yeah, I was gonna ask you. Yeah, our website is gopromotionhealth.com. Gopromotionhealth.com. So, um, you know, if all, you're all interested, yeah, all one word. So if you're interested, um, certainly check us out. We're really excited about it. And um, I do want to uh, put a put a little plug here. We're an uh, all-woman uh, team, which I'm really proud of, proud of as well. So that's pretty neat. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah congrats. Thank you. Lindsay, uh, let's... Um... What are some of the misconceptions or misunderstandings that athletic trainers may have about handling uh, an, uh, a patient with, with a, some kind of mental health um, issue going on? Yeah, that's a really good question as well, because, um, you know, we're just as a profession really starting to enter into this realm of, okay, this is part of addressing the whole person, right? And so uh, often there are some things that maybe we might not necessarily understand. And, and a couple of things come to mind. The first is that I, I have colleagues very often from uh, different universities come to me and say, We've tried working with our school counselor or our counseling center or, you know, this mental health provider that we reached out to. And um, they were willing to work with us, but they told me that they're not going to tell us when our athletes go to appointments or that they are in therapy or continuing therapy or how's it going or giving us updates. And we can't have that because we're the athletic trainers. We oversee their health care and we need to know. And um, this is a hard thing to tell athletic trainers because we like to have control over our athletes' health because we care so much, right? Uh, however, you are not going to be privy to that information. Uh, mental health providers are held to very high, stringent, confidential, and ethical standards around the health care of their, their clients and their patients. And so... They, they're not even giving the police this information. They're not going to give the athletic trainer down the road the inf information about the patient, not even have they attended or come to the counseling center or, you know, attended appointments. And um, that's okay. 
that's okay. That's what I, I want to get that message about. Because if you, you know, we, the only thing that we can do for our patients is tell them about the resources, connect them to the resources, and create an environment that they feel comfortable coming to you if they need to. Beyond that, we can't force them to do therapy. And by the way, even if we did, because sometimes that has happened, like you have to go or else, you know, whatever, yep. you know, ultimatums, it's not going to work. Therapy doesn't work like that. No, they have to be, they have to buy in and they have to they want to be ready. better. They have to be ready. And so that's number one. We can't, we can't make them. And, um, you know, we have to know that once we refer to the mental health provider and the athlete has the information that they need to be connected to this person, beyond that, it's up to, it's up to that healthcare provider to treat them. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't turn around to your patient later that week and say like, hey, how'd it go? Okay, not, you know, not okay. Can I check in or ask them? Am I allowed to check in? They might be standoffish, like, listen, I don't want to talk to you about my mental health or, or yeah, I went. They'll give you the hint, right? Um, or they might say, yeah, I went. Actually, it was really helpful. Also, be mindful of when and where you're asking those things, right? You're not going to have these conversations and ask these things in the athletic training facility with 20 other athletes and their teammates next to them, right? You're not going to have a productive conversation about mental health or even counseling, and you don't want to bring that up in front of their teammates. You sh absolutely should not. And so, you know, sometimes out of the field, I'll just look at them and say, hey, yes, you know, that's fine. The other teammates don't know what we're talking about, but your athlete will. Your athlete, your athlete will know. And, and then I'll say, do you want to talk about it? Or, you know, can we check in next week? So then, then we find a private space to be able to, to chat so I can check in, right? Um, the, the caveat to that about the, the healthcare providers, the mental health providers providing this information is if the, the patient is at risk of harming themselves or others, then they will reach out to you if the patient included you as you know someone um, that that uh, on their emergency contact list, or if the mental health provider knows that you are one of their licensed healthcare providers, like you refer them directly, right? So I've I've gotten calls before from our licensed sports psychologist that said, "Hey, you know, so and so, our athlete knows that I'm reaching out to you to let you know, um, you know, she's been." working with me, but she is having active suicidal thoughts. Um, she does not have a current plan, but she does have an idea of how she might uh, die by suicide if she were to attempt. And so I want to let you know so that we are all aware, you know, of what's going on and so that she may be checking in with you and know that I am working with her daily or weekly or whatever it might be, right? Um, sometimes they reach out to family members to say, you need to get all the guns out of your house. Um, they shouldn't have access. Like, here's the different lethal means that they've discussed in therapy. These are scary things, but it's real, right? Um, and so locking up guns, making sure that they're not having access to guns, because that is a very common form of, of um, someone attempting to take them their life. And so uh, those conversations might be had, but only in extreme circumstances, right? Um, and so beyond that, you're not going to get information from the mental health provider. And so that has to be okay. Now, there are caveats to that as well, where some universities say, well, we have all of our athletes sign HIPAA forms that say that the sports psychologist or the, the mental health provider can contact us. I don't recommend that because, listen, research shows that athletes, if we're talking about athletes specifically, right, athletes will seek help 
for their mental health at significantly lower rates than our, their non-athlete peers. And so they're not getting, they're struggling, but they're not getting the help that they need because of many different things, stigma, fear, fear that their coach is going to find out, fear that their teammates are going to find out. So if you now have them sign a paper that says, yes, the mental health provider can tell, you know, the athletic trainer anything that they want, they're not going to go. They're not going to get, you're not going to get buy-in. And so don't go that route. It's not necessary. When you refer them, know that if there is an emergency, you will find out about it. Okay. And beyond that, they've been referred and you've now connected them. And you can always follow up with your patient directly. Yep. The second, second misconception is about um, thoughts about death and suicide. Very often we hear that and we're like, emergency, send them to the hospital. They need to see a mental health provider. Like right now we can't, you know, thoughts about death and suicide are very common for someone who's experiencing depression. Very common. Okay. It's when those thoughts change to actions and intentions. Okay. So there's a big difference between intention to kill yourself and thoughts about killing yourself. Right. Thoughts about hurting yourself or killing yourself are still not good, right? This person is really struggling and we want to connect them with help, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an emergency. And so how do we find out if it's an emergency? We ask. So learning the skill of how to talk to your patient who is potentially depressed, right? You've now screened them or they told you that they're depressed and they say, yeah, well, I just don't want to be here anymore. I want to wake up tomorrow and, and not be here, right? That's, that's, a, that's a red flag. Okay, so are you having thoughts about suicide? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. So have you created a plan? Do you know, do you have intentions to kill yourself? Have you created a plan? No, I haven't had a plan and I don't think I would ever do it. I don't even know how I would do it. I have no plan, but these are thoughts that are just in my head. And they're going to feel uncomfortable talking about that because it's the scariest thought you will ever have in your life, right? They're now sharing with you. You also don't want to be judgmental in the moment. It's something that you want to practice asking and talking about to the mirror before you talk, you know, say this to your patient. And so if they don't have an active plan and they don't have intentions, you don't have to send them to the hospital that day, but you do want to connect them with a mental health provider, right? Um, and then, but if they do say, yes, I have a plan or I, I think I might, or I don't feel safe going home, okay then we're going to take you to the hospital. We're going to walk you down the counseling center. We're going to walk you to the counselor's office, whatever your emergency action plan calls for, for a mental health emergency. Yeah. Scary. Like you, you just piqued my anxiety over this whole topic from that. And I, I think the, the reassuring part of what you just said is having that plan in place and practicing mm -hmm. it. Like we practice everything else in our career. You know, we yep. practice spine boarding, we practice emergency procedures. This is nothing different. And Correct. as as daunting as this task seems, I, I, I think that that last comment right there of practicing it in the mirror is mm -hmm. is is right there on point. I, I love it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, it's just another emergency action plan that we have to, to have to have in place and, and be ready to implement. Um, I, I do. I, I agree, Lindsay. Um, you know, we've had some situations here at Dickinson that, you know, where the athletic trainers definitely felt like the situation was much more urgent than, than the mental health, um, you know, uh, the mental health, uh, experts. Right. Um, you know, anything else, any other thoughts on that? Like, I, again, yeah. I feel like that is really common, like where we're like, 
this kid's in here talking to me about committing or about um, suicide and, and hurting themselves, you know, regularly. They never actually do it, but they're they're you know they're having that conversation with us. But then maybe they're going to their counselor and saying something completely different, or at least that's the vibe we're getting. Thoughts yes. there on that? Absolutely. When in doubt, go with your gut. And so okay. if you don't feel comfortable and you're like, I don't feel comfortable sending this person home, then don't. Okay. okay? So, it, you know, we, again, we are not licensed mental health providers. And so if you feel like you can't parse out, is this person safe or not, then you need to connect them with something that, with a place or a person that is safe, like the local hospital, the, if the, the therapist is on call, call the therapist, um, and they'll make the, they'll make the call. So that, that is common, by the way, I've had athletes say, I don't tell my therapist this, but I'm telling you right. this. And that's the conversation of that can't be the case. I can't help you and this is not appropriate. You need to tell your therapist this, right? Yeah. And so you have to be, you know, stern about that because okay. you know, we we need to draw the line. And so if you're not comfortable, absolutely you refer and and take them to the hospital. The other thing is is that you with time and having these conversations, you will get better at having these conversations and recognizing what's an emergency and what's not, right? The first time that you have a patient down on the field with a potential C-spine, you're like, they broke their neck. C1, C2, it's it's got to be that. And no, it wasn't. They have some trap spasm and that's about it, right? So that's okay, but we still spine boarded them and sent them for an x-ray because we don't want to be wrong, right? And, you know, in that kind of case. And so same thing with mental health. And this will, you know, it will get easier the more that you practice it and the more that you implement this and have these conversations. Yeah, yeah. that was a great analogy. That was a great analogy. Yeah, I liked it. Well, this is going to be a really difficult transition as we went from some really serious conversation into let's let's lighten it up a little bit here and let's let's, let's, let's do the lightning round. Um, we, yeah. we always enjoy doing that, especially with our athletic training guests. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's jump into it. Um, again, really really weird transition um, going from going from one to the next, but. Um, so I know you mentioned it earlier um, that you, you love Westchester and that you, you plan to be there for a while. But if you could pick any dream job out there, what would it be? And it can be your job that you're currently in if that's your dream yeah. job. You know what? I know it's so cliche, but I love my job. I get to do everything I want to do. I'm in the cadaver lab teaching cadaver. I'm you know fun. teaching about mental health and sports psych courses. I'm researching mental health and I'm implementing mental health and, and you know, working clinically hands-on on the field with my rugby athletes, with my women rugby <laughs> athletes. And so I have the dream job. I love it so much. I, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> awesome. I, we love that answer because we get it more often than we don't, which is really, um, you know, reassuring for athletic trainers Absolutely. that, hey, here we are. We, we, we love what we do. So yep. we, we can appreciate that answer. This, this is my yeah. dream job right here. <laughs> I love it. That's my so, second dream job. Being a mom is, is, is yeah, what I'm doing yeah. too. So I love that too. So what do you do for fun? I love to hike and ski and read when I get the time. Because again, I have two children, a, a three and a half year old and a one year old next week. So, uh, you know, free time, but uh, exercising, cycling, hiking, reading, those are my fun things and, and spending time with my family. I just love it. Travel. Actually, this this summer I'm uh, traveling across the state of Utah to the Mighty Five National nice. Parks in an oh, RV. Awesome. So, oh, yeah, that's you're gonna nice. love it. It's gonna be yeah. fun. Uh, bring yeah. plenty yeah. of water. If you hit Zion, uh, bring some shade. We're doing Zion. We are. We're bringing water and shade for sure. Shade, <laughs> definitely shade. So, Lindsay, 
a little bit more serious again. Um, what inspires you? Hmm, that's a hard question. Um, I, I, there's people inspire me. I think the biggest thing is specific people, especially um, women and people who have been through struggles, um, people of color and. Um, my athletes inspire me too. you know, anyone who's been through a struggle and, um, is willing to speak up about it and talk about it really inspires me and, um, keeps me going every day. And my children inspire me too, because they're just beautiful little humans. <laughs> and, uh, the last question, something we've built entire episodes around, mm -hmm. what does it mean to be an athletic trainer to you? Mm. Being an athletic trainer means passion and providing access to healthcare, sometimes in situations where people might not even have access, right? When I uh, was working in Philadelphia for some time uh, with a few high schools in um, North Philadelphia, and some of these athletes that I worked with, I was the first healthcare provider they had seen in years. Um, they didn't know what an athletic trainer was. They called me nurse lady. Um, they, they didn't really know, but I helped them learn. And um, really, I learned way more from them than, than they learned from me or, or than I helped them. So, you know, people going through about their everyday life um, really inspire me. And that's what athletic training is all about, is connecting with people and access to healthcare. I love, love it. it. I love, love it. it. Yeah. That's that's athletic training right there. That's, we love that's good mic drop love. moments. I, I love right. that. <laughs> well, can, I provide, can I provide what? one more thing? One of more course. thing that I, that I would love yeah. to wrap up with. Um, one other resource, 741-741 is the crisis text line. So memorize it. And maybe that will help even some of our listeners because as athletic trainers, we struggle too. We're, we're human. And so self-care is really important. Exercising, getting into therapy, time, you know, balance, work-life balance, all of those things are really important. Self-care is important. So memorize that text line. There's also a, a, a you can Google the suicide uh, lifeline number. The text line is so easy. And so you can text home or help. Uh, to seven four one seven four one. It's a great resource. Awesome. I, I think nice. you just might have uh, got yourself invited back for another show at you a later date. Stole my That's awesome. This is definitely going to be another show for yeah. for athletic trainer mental. Health, I would love sure. that. I would for love sure. that. For Absolutely. sure. But okay, let's wrap up, Lindsay. This has been great. Like absolutely, this this information is 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 definitely important, and I'm so glad that you came on the show and shared your your expertise with us. Um, if, if viewers have any questions specific to you, do you mind sharing some uh, resources for, for yourself to, to reach out? Absolutely. You can find me at Lindsay C. Keenan, K-E-E-N-A-N at gmail.com. And uh, that's Lindsay with an E. Lindsay with an E. All right. Awesome. You can find me on LinkedIn, too. There you go. Great. There we go. We got it. Thank we got you it. So much. And I'm going to call you Dr. Keenan because I, I just feel like I have to. So Dr. Keenan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I want to say a big thank you to Rothman Orthopedics for sponsoring this episode. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Remember to like, subscribe, share, tweet, post, comment, and DM. Until next time, I'm Adam Richman. And I'm Philip Hensler. And this was the Pats Podcast. Yeah. Thank you.